Somehow, as I abide in the love of Jesus Christ, I can find a perspective that the scripture would call joy. Hmm. A gladness that may have tears running down my face with that gladness, but it's, it's aligned with shalom and peace that tells me all is not well right now, but someday all shall be well. And I can hang on to that. That's called joy in the midst of that sorrow and pain. If you're trying to follow Jesus and be a quote unquote good Christian, but you just feel that voice of shame that just tells you, you got to try harder. Well, this is the book for you. It's called Free, Rescue from Shame-Based Religion, released into the life-giving love of Jesus by J. Kevin Butcher. He's in the 30-second book club podcast this week. And there's so much in this book uh, that just, I I think is going to free people from their preconceived notions about what they thought being a Christian had to look like following Jesus. Uh, And so... There's so much to, to, to dive into. So let's start here where you start in the very beginning of the book. And so I'm, I know this is intentional, but you talk about abiding. So dig, dig deeper a little bit into that concept and, and why it's so important. The main reason I think it's so important is because it's, it's what Jesus invites us to in the last part of John, when he's basically telling his disciples, you know, I'm leaving, you're staying. And if the world is going to see me, and if you're going to fight the powers of darkness that we've been talking about and that, that he had been demonstrating to them or trying to literally uh, take us out, if you're, going to, if you're going to live into that battle and not just survive but thrive, he says, this is what I'm inviting you to do. And it's in John 15, 9. Um, he said nothing about the rules at that point, at least initially. He said, um, as the Father has loved me, so love I you abide in my love. One commentator I I met, uh, or I not met, but read uh, mid 19th century said that 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 little snippet is likely the closest thing to uh, an ethical command out of the mouth of Jesus in the entire gospel of John. Mm -hmm. So if Jesus says not go out and try hard or go out and, um, you know, accomplish, if he says, no, this is how the battle is fought. This is how the battle is won for the lives of people, for my kingdom. You've got to make your home in hmm. my love. Then, then that's, that's what, that's the invitation. But I didn't know that. And I think most of us haven't been taught that, especially in Western Christianity. It's, it's usually about the left brain, more content. And mm-hmm. it's usually about trying harder, disciplining ourselves if we can, to obey the rules, many of which are, I mean, the 10 commandments are good. Mm-hmm. Fact is they were never meant to be the core. His love was always meant to be the core. And, and I, I love how you, you put a term to this and it, you know, just do it Christianity. And I think uh, that really resonated with me. And I think it's going to resonate with others too. So, uh, you know, you talk about how that affected you for years, most of your adult life too. So how did you finally overcome that and say, okay, I'm going to not worry about the rules and just know that I need to embrace God's love more. And that's what's you know, going to get me through. Well, I'm, I'm getting to be an old guy. And I'd love to tell you, Andy, that I've finally <laughs> overcome the invitation to obey the rules every day. Mm-hmm. But, but, you know, shame uh, is what, you know, basically shouts at us. You're not enough. You've never been enough. You'll never be enough, even for God's love. Mm-hmm. And so those rules are constantly hovering around us saying, this is what it's all about. Mm-hmm. I'm still fighting um, that satanic word, if you will, 
But for me, there was a breaking point, and it occurred when I was about 36 years old, and I had been a great rule keeper. I mean, all the way through high school, uh, through Christian University, where I played football, I went out and shared my faith with the platform of football. Um, I was an All-American, so I had I had a pretty good uh, platform. Um, went to seminary, you know, did well, won an award, whatever, became a pastor. I was going strong, um, married to my best friend, three beautiful daughters at home. And one night, Andy, after another performance, after mm. another speaking engagement where everybody, I mean, you know the drill, people like we love our heroes and people applauded. And on the way home that night, and this is how I opened my first book, I Choose and Choose Again, The Brave Act of Returning to God's Love. I opened with this scene on the way home. I realized I couldn't live with this performance, just do it thing hanging over my head any longer. If this was it, I wanted to die. And I almost drove my car into a cement embankment on the east side of, of the city of Detroit on a freeway. And and God, I literally, the story's in the book. And he say, I believe he saved my life. I went home, fell on my face, and I said, God, I've got everything. And I know the rules, six and a half years of Greek, two years of Hebrew, three years of Latin, four years at Dallas Theological Seminary. Mm-hmm. I know all the rules and I'm disciplined. I'm an athlete, whatever. But I this can't be it because it's killing me. It's sucking mm-hmm. the life out of me. So that that was a break that, you know, 30, 31 years ago turned me in another direction. So now for me, that is the land of the far country. That's where I wander when I'm prodigal. I, I can still go there, Andy. I just don't stay there as long because it's death. It's death. Mm. I think, um, boy, just sharing your story there. I, I now understand, you know, I was reading, you know, in the book where you have a whole chapter talking about desperation, abiding in Jesus calls us to live with desperation for him. So, you know, what does that look like? Is that hitting that breaking point like you did? What does that look like in our lives? I don't think. Everybody has to get to that point of desperation. But I think one of the things we have to do is look at this word discipline with more of a biblical framework. Um, if you look at the at the biblical characters, you know, whether it's David or whether it's Peter, um, you know, David, as the deer pants for the water, so my soul longs after you. Hmm. Or Peter, you know, in the boat after his denial, and he sees Jesus on the shore, and he's, he jumps out of the boat, man, and he's passionately swimming toward the shore. We could go on and on and on. You don't really see, I mean, discipline is there. Hmm. But what you see more is desperation. You see people falling in love, responding hmm. to the love. We're, we're not created to respond to rules. We're created to respond to love. Dr. Kurt Thompson, who I quote, the the guy that wrote The Soul of Shame, the Christian psychiatrist wrote The Soul of Shame. He says, we come out of the womb looking for someone, looking for us with love and delight. Hmm. And and when he shared that, that story a couple of years ago when I heard him speak, he said, I'm 56 years old. I'm still looking for that today. Hmm. So when we realize that's what we're looking for, we're looking for someone to love us. We're looking, if you will, uh, Andy, for a lover. Hmm. If we look at our other lovers, and they can even be good things like some hobby or a family member, a spouse, a child. When we look at even the good things that we call our loves, 
and we realize that they they can't fill us up, then we when we're honest about that, and it could even be religious, when we're honest about that, we start getting desperate. And we that's what happened to me that night. I, I was like, I've got it all, man, but I'm empty inside and I want to die. I live with that desperation every day. Hmm. If I don't abide in the love of Jesus, Andy, I'm not just struggling. I begin to devolve. All of my baggage, all of my stuff begins to manifest. And I believe that most believers, if they get honest, they'll realize they're not looking for the rules. They're looking for him. And they want to know him, not as their life coach, but as their one great love. Hmm. Now, uh, speaking of desperation, I, I think, you know, we're all desperate to be healed, too. And, and you talk about this in your book that you know, when we see Jesus as our healer, then and only then we'll choose to abide in his powerful love. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I think sometimes, you know, for me, it's it's hard. You know, it's, there's one one level where you say, OK, I, I read things like that. But it's a whole different level to actually say, okay, I believe that Jesus is my healer. So I don't, I don't know how to bridge that sometimes. Well, you're preaching <laughs> the choir. Me neither. Right. <laughs> I, I do think, and I, and I tried to make this clear in the book, this isn't just some new guy's take on pop psychology. This is mm-hmm. what I'm trying to share, I think, comes from the scripture. I just don't think this is the way it was taught to me. Mm-hmm. Um, again, why do we abide? Because Jesus says, abide in my love. Why do we long for healing? Why do we believe that healing, not just, hey, stop sinning. Mm-hmm. Hey, do better. Live the Christian life. Why do we believe that healing is a part of our redemptive story? Because in Isaiah 61, the passage that Jesus quotes in his coming out party, if you will, and in, mm-hmm. in the synagogue of Nazareth in Luke 4, he quotes this passage, I've been granted to, to proclaim the good news, and this is the good news. I've come to heal the brokenhearted hmm. and set the captives free. And then he sat down, you know, that famous moment when he sat down, mm-hmm. and, and, and then they usually the teacher, the reader of the morning would, would uh, in synagogue, would expound upon that passage. And this is what he said today, this passage has been fulfilled in your hearing. Hmm. In other words, like in the matrix, Mm -hmm. I'm the one, (laughs) I'm the one. What one are you, Jesus of Nazareth? I'm the one who's come to be your healer. And so I, I've wondered over the years why we have skipped that text. This is Jesus making his own statement about his own mission. Hmm. So that's why, that's how I bridge the gap. Not only do I long for that, that healing, because I know I'm broken. I'm not just sinful, I'm wounded. But also, this is what Jesus said he came to bring me and to bring the world. Does that make any sense? Yeah, yeah. I I, uh, I think that's powerful. I, again, you know, there's a lot of, and I think for people like me, and again, you as well, Kevin, as you said, it's just, it's a mindset change that we've lived so long in this rut. It's like mindset change. Yeah. (laughs) You got to jump to a different set of tracks and that's hard when you've got a freight train full of baggage. So true. true. It it is a total shift in perspective, but Mm -hmm. it's freeing. And the Mm -hmm. other perspective, if we're honest, locks us down in guilt Mm -hmm. and shame. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
Absolutely. And, and I just, you know, I, I think maybe expounding a little bit on that, that freight train analogy, I just said, you know, you talk about also being surrendered to him. So maybe, you know, putting Jesus on the front of, a, you know, t- driving the train as opposed to us or whatever. But, you know, what what does that look like as we're abiding in, in Jesus and then surrendering to him? Well, what does a daily surrender look like? I mean, and, and again, there's a re, there's there's a method to the to the chapter headings and why mm-hmm. one precedes another. I don't mm-hmm. think if we don't get desperate for Jesus as our one love, and if we don't know him as that love, then what I would call the main discipline of the Christian life, which is letting go to him, surrendering to him. It's the Romans 12, 1, based upon these mercies, Paul says, I beg you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. So that surrender is something we have to choose to do. And it's counterintuitive hmm. because I, I'm, I'm kind of wired to want to control and hang on and get it done and so if I don't know that he loves me and that I'm desperately, madly in love with him and I can trust his love for me, then why would I want to surrender to him? Hmm. I know there's a perspective. I would call it maybe more of a reformed perspective, if you will, not, not to categorize a whole group of people or our whole system of theology. But I think you know what I'm saying, uh, a perspective that says, hey, God is God. He's sovereign. He can tell you to do whatever he wants. Mm-hmm. Well, indeed. Of course, there's nobody that doesn't believe that God is God and can indeed tell us to do what he wants us to do. But if I'm going to surrender to him, like when we were walking into the University of Michigan, when my wife was getting her first chemotherapy treatment a few years back, and I wanted to get all the data and talk to all the doctors and to make sure that we knew that my wife was going to be okay. But instead, I had a Jesus who had been telling me for years at that point, I love you, son. And I love Carla. I'm not going to tell you how this is going to go. You don't get to know the future, but I can tell you this. I'm with you and I love you and I'm not leaving you ever. Hmm. I don't know how to live in this broken world. We just lost 10 people 45 minutes from me yesterday mm-hmm. in the Boulder massacre at that King Supers. We called our daughter who's in grad school there. And we said, are you okay? Were you mm-hmm. shopping there today? Is your boyfriend okay? Is he, how do you live in this mm-hmm. brokenness without realizing you can't get it done? You can't obey all the rules. We're desperate for someone that we know loves us and is there. When I know that I can turn my life over to him and let him take it, but not until. Hmm. Hmm. I think you touched a little bit on that with the, you were, we were uh, you know, one of your chapters is mysteries. And I think you um, did a great job there. So let's, let's jump to um, prayer. And you talk about that in the chapter mm-hmm. alone with our love. And again, because this is where I come from, I was waiting for the perfect prayer formula <laughs> right? Three, stre- three steps to effective prayers. Come on, you're a pastor. You know, that's what everybody wants. I'm glad I disappointed you, bro. <laughs> so uh, instead, what is, you know, how do we have, um, you know, what does prayer look like when we are truly abiding in Jesus? Look, and again, this is something that's evolved for me over the years, but I kept going back to the text. I kept going back to the scripture to see, am I making this up because it feels mm. right to me or feels convenient to me or is this in the word so prayer i don't even you know there's an extended section of the book i don't even prayer think prayer is primarily about getting something from god 
although we are called to ask, of course, because we're like children with him, with, with a good father. I think prayer is, you know, we quote several historical figures uh, on this on this topic. Prayer is our longing to talk with, to communicate with, to pour our hearts out to our one great love. Hmm. And so when I live desperately, and I know, I, I begin to believe, you know, there's a chapter on with me. What does that mean? Is he really with us? I begin to believe that he's right here with me on the journey, right where you're sitting right now at the station or at your home and right where mm-hmm. I am in my office. He is right here with me and he loves me and I'm desperate for him. Dude, I just talked to him. Mm-hmm. Oh, and I'm, I'm not kidding you. I am not a religious guy, man, mm-hmm. but I talked to him all day. When I get up in the night at my age, a couple, three times a night, I get up and I'm talking to him. When I go back to bed, I'm talking to him. And sometimes I'm praising him. Many times I'm just saying, I need, I need, I'm hurting, I'm broken. I'm asking for strength. I'm asking for power. So honestly, prayer is not a discipline for me. Hmm. I don't make myself pray. When I realize how desperate I am, I'm moving toward him, bro. I'm moving hmm. toward him. Hmm. Same thing with the scripture, as as you read. Hmm. So I, I think uh, let's go here. I, I think you know you talk in the book a lot about you know going through COVID and all this too, and and I think the one thing that's been missing with a lot of people, uh, not just with during COVID, but just with the struggles of you know as you talked about the the shooting that happened just a few days ago, and then of course you know we're here in Minneapolis, so it's the. Uh, uh, the uh, Derek Chauvin trial that's ramping up and, you know, yeah. we had the, the unrest last year and it's just been really hard as a community where we live too. Indeed. You talk about healing love in Jesus community. And, and I think sometimes the, the challenge is, you know, uh, we're afraid of community because we're afraid of putting ourselves out there. We're going to say the wrong thing. It's not going to be perfect. And I just love how you touch on that with an entire chapter of just how we show God's love. And, and how, you know, we don't, again, we don't have to follow the rules and we don't have to be perfect when we do this. We don't. In fact, it's impossible. Um, when you think of, if, if I can, because God loves me, if I can think of Andy Uso right now, not being hmm. a radio personality, but being a son of God hmm. and behind that persona that you have to have to do your job, you're a wounded son. Hmm. You're a broken son that longs for healing, just like me, longs to be loved, just like me. If I can look at you through those eyes, and the only way I can, Andy, is if I'm secured in the love of a God whose love fills me up, Ephesians 3.19 style, from the inside out. I'm filled with his love, so I'm secure Hmm. in him. If I'm walking in, if I'm abiding in that love, then I can look at Andy. And if Andy rejects what I'm saying, if Andy misunderstands what I'm saying, if Andy, because I'm black and Andy's white, is not feeling who I am and where I come from, uh, if, if, if Andy's Asian and I'm Caucasian and Andy's offended at what I say, if Andy's a woman and I'm a man and she's not feeling that I'm really getting her and understanding her perspectives, where she comes from as a daughter of God, if all of that mess that the enemy's been doing, Andy, since Genesis 3, he's not stopping. If all of that is there, but if the love of God is grounding us, hmm. filling us, securing us, we stay in the room and continue to move toward one another's feet, washing them 
with his grace and with his love. And Paul says, eventually, because that Christ and his love is all and in all, Colossians 3.11, he says, we will come together as a community, even though we continue to have our differences and continue to have our misunderstandings. And then what the world sees is, I want some of that. Hmm. We don't have to go knocking on anybody's door, trying to cram the four spiritual laws down their throat. They're also looking for that healing. They'll see it in us because of the love of Jesus, and they'll come knocking. Does that make sense? Yeah. And and I I think at the very end of the book, you talk about joy. And you want to talk about a uniquely Christian thing, (laughs) that joy amidst circumstances, spiritual battles, uh, you know, talk maybe just a, a little bit more about that. You know, p- people right now, hard time to find joy. You look at the news. Where do you find it? How do you get it? How do you? Uh, and I'll tell you, my, my struggle is sometimes I think I know I'm supposed to have joy, but I feel like I'm faking it. Oh, dude, my brother, <laughs> you, you're, you're preaching, man. And I, I get it, and I'm. I'm so with you. And if you, if you, you know, if you read the chapter, I'm bad at it. Mm. I have a melancholy personality. I connect much more easily with the pain around me because mm. of my upbringing and just the way I'm wired, my own wounds. Um, but it's interesting in that text where J- Jesus says, abide in my love. He says, I tell you this, and this is astounding to me, so that your joy might be full. Hmm. man. So I've wrestled with that. What does that mean? And the only thing I can get is that even in the pain, even in the deep sorrow that we experience, if we're abiding in his love, there's a perspective that his love brings even to the wound where we can find joy, which I define as deep gladness. It's, It's not giddy happiness. There's a place for that too, man. You go to the birthday party, Everybody has a, you know, a a, a beer and we toast the the birthday person and everybody's happy. Love it. That needs to be in our lives as well, God willing. But joy can be present even with the tears running down our face. And it's the deeper gladness that comes from knowing that even in this wounded moment, like the one you just mentioned that's going on, the, the racial tension and the brokenness and the the history of racism in our country that's coming, that's, that's poking its ugly, wounded head up again. And it, it's never gone away for people of color. It's just white folks that seems to, seem to have not seen it. But you guys are trying to reconcile. You're trying to live into that pain. Mm-hmm. Here in Colorado with a young man who may have had some issues psychologically, who blew 10 people away, including a, an officer, Somehow, as I abide in the love of Jesus Christ, I can find a perspective that the scripture would call joy, Hmm. deep a gladness that may have tears running down my face with that gladness. But it's it's aligned with shalom and peace that tells me all is not well right now, but someday all shall be well. And I can hang on to that. That's called joy in the midst of that sorrow and pain. If you feel the pressure to live up to Pinterest looking, 
airbrushed and insta-filtered real-life role models that just make you feel like you're not good enough. Man, Kelly Pomeroli understands that. She's a single mom and she is a comedian that works in Hollywood. Such an interesting story. She wrote a book about just kind of getting through it, using humor to navigate through life. It's called Confessions of a Proverbs 32 Woman. And she's in the 32nd Book Club next week.